This is Don't Panic, episode number 9, recorded August 13th, 2013, on DNA Computing, Hyperloop Hype, and iPhone Puzzles. Hello and welcome, yes it is that time again, to remind you to don't panic, because we're here, that's right, the three, sm- well I should say two smartest guys in me, uh, on technology in the world, uh, I'm mostly here for the terrible jokes. I'm Sean Jennings. I'm Colby Rabideau. I'm Dan Miller. And we have a stellar show for you this week, but before we get into that, I want to remind all of our live listeners that you can watch and interact with us as we do the show, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday nights. Uh, just visit don'tpanic.io slash live.html. We have a chat room going there as well as the live stream. We love when people watch live and interact, give your feedback. Uh, anything you want us to talk about, please check us out there. And you can also get episodes after the fact in both video and audio form at don'tpanic.io. Now that we've got all of that out of the way, let's move on to today's show where we have a topic that someone is interested in. And that <laughs> someone is Dan Miller. Dan, yeah. you cl- you took grabs on this week's show. You said, I've got to have it. I've got to have this week's show because you were so jazzed. What <laughs> is going on? No pun intended, actually. Uh, so last week, I just stumbled upon this topic called biocomputing. And I'd always heard about it. And I've heard people say, oh, this is the future, and it's so cool. But I had no idea what it was. And being like a computer science graduate feels kind of bad. So I looked into it. And at first, it didn't make any sense. And then I finally found a couple articles that started to explain it a little better. But before we really get into that, we will have the quick five-minute introduction to how computers work. So, I'm excited. People, yeah, Colby, this is you to me. I don't know. <laughs> you better pay attention. I need attention. all the help I can get. So bring so, it on. I got this job, and like they think I. <laughs> Yeah, you got to bring this back to all your coworkers. Okay, so you often hear people call computers machines, but computers are not like most other machines. And the fundamental thing that kind of makes them different is that uh, these machines, computers, take input from the outside world and modify their own behavior based on that input. So if you think physically about what a computer is, it has like circuit boards and stuff. But circuit boards isn't a computer because your mouse has circuit boards, and that isn't a computer. It takes in input, but it never modifies its behavior. It always just does the things that a mouse does. Now, there might be cool mouses out there that have computers in them, but I'm not aware of any. Uh, So, like, a general example, Excel spreadsheets. Like, you could make uh, an Excel spreadsheet to contain all the grades for a student in a class. And that's awesome. But like spreadsheeting itself can do so much more than just calculate average grades. It can do anything you want, no matter how many students there are and no matter how many assignments there are. So it's not really a machine. It's you know self-modifying. Uh, so that's awesome. But how does this work? So there are three things a computer needs. Uh, I guess if we're going to get really technical, no, I think there are three things a computer needs. Um, the ability to store information, the ability to transmit information between components, 
and the ability to make decisions based on a programmable system of logic. So, in a regular computer, you've probably heard these words before. We have RAM, which is random access memory, circuits, which are also in your mouse but don't themselves make up a computer, and the CPU, the central processing unit. So, and blah, 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 blah. All of these things are themselves circuits, actually. But they're made up of these things called transistors, which are just switches that go on and off, which are represented by 0 and 1. Thus, you know, the crazy, nerdy, binary codes you see everywhere and things like that. And from these transistors, you can build addition, and from addition, you can do any kind of math, including really enough division somehow. I don't understand how that works, but it does. <laughs> and from that, like, logic comes out, because you can be like, if 1 plus 1 equals 2, then do this. So that's how computers work. Sean, do you now understand? Dan, you made it crystal clear. But how sure? does this apply to biology? Well, that's a good question. Are you sure you understand, though? Because if you don't understand, maybe many of our listeners also don't understand. All of our listener? Uh, All of our yes. listener. Do you uh, have any questions up until this point? No, I mean, it, it, when you break it down to its really raw ingredients, uh, you know, I can only imagine how much more complicated you could make it, but uh, when you break it down to something this simplistic, and I will... Uh, no, I won't. So, yeah, so no, it... <laughs> Uh, it, no, it does. It, it makes sense to me when you break it down into those three essential ingredients um, okay. as to how computers work. So just so I'm clear, the first one is... The first one is uh, <laughs> ability to transmit data between components. Is that what I said? I d information I storage, information transmission, and logic. Okay. When you put it like that, it makes perfect sense. Go so on. So actually, the, the, the formal model of computation is this machine that runs along a piece of tape and just fills in squares or erases squares. And hypothetically, from such a machine, you could uh, do anything that's computationally possible. So that's another weird way to think about it that never really made sense. Is, that's the Turing machine, right? Uh, I think so, or it's the von Neumann machine. You should look that up oh. and fact-check us, Colby. Computers. <laughs> okay, so with those three things, if we could only emulate them in biology, then we could make a biological computer that's analog and not digital. Luckily for us, nature has most of these things already, and, like, bodies, like, organic systems behave a lot like computers. So for instance, when it comes to information storage and retrieval, like the RAM, nature has DNA. And DNA stores all of our details, like genetic details, for decades at a time, no data loss unless there's a problem, and uses like minute amounts of power, which sounds silly, but it's pretty cool. It doesn't need that much electricity to go. Uh, in fact, one gram of DNA contains 455 exabytes of information, or half a billion terabytes, or about 40 times the estimated information content of all human knowledge. So How many 40 times? 40 times. 
Shit. I think one gram of DNA is probably a lot, but we can build DNA. You know, I don't think anyone has one gram of DNA, but that's just to show like the density that's that can be achieved. So that's awesome. So DNA, we got RAM. Information transmission is also already in normal biology in the form of proteins. So cells in your body fling these proteins around, and other cells have these little things called protein receptors, and they listen for certain kinds of proteins and then grab them and take them in, and they can use that as a signaling system. So wait, so before before we get too far, I have a question. Like, yeah. DNA is RAM, like, wouldn't, in my mind, it seems like DNA would be... Persistent storage, like your yeah. hard drive. Correct. I, yeah. I guess those could be considered the same thing, right? Kind of. Yeah, yes. And okay. we'll see why later. You're probably right, it is more like hard drive, because it's really slow, but that also doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we've got these proteins flying around. So the only other thing we need is a programmable system of logic. And this is the piece that's been missing for a long time until this paper that was published in March. Um, so human bodies are like machines. Much like other machines, like your mouse, once it's created, it can't really be reprogrammed. Your body always does the same thing in the same way unless something gets in the way inside, it doesn't ever really modify its own behavior. Uh, so, these, these guys at Stanford, pretty smart dudes, came up with this thing called a transcriptor. So, a transcriptor is the analog to a transistor, which is that one zero on-off switch that we have on circuit boards, except created in like, is molecular and stuff. So instead of electricity, a transcriptor controls the flow of RNA, and RNA is a pro an RNA polymerase. I don't this is where I'm starting to get fuzzy. And that creates more RNA. So blah blah blah. Basically what this thing does is it sits along this path of RNA and it can it can either transmit it or and or it can it takes this input and it can either send output or not send output. So that is the on-off. And this and it does this by looking at the enzymes in the incoming RNA. So for example, we you could build one of these biological transcriptors to transmit if enzyme A and enzyme B are both present, or if one or the other or both are present, or any of these other Boolean logic things. So now we have a computer in biology that isn't like nanotechnology. It's purely like grown from cells. Cool? Copacetic? Yeah. It's like like science. Yeah. So uh, if when you compare these to traditional computers, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. They're really slow, uh, but they have a lot of interesting advantages. One being that they're very low power because our bodies are pretty low power. Like the the fact that your finger moves doesn't require that much electricity compared to like your laptop. So that's pretty cool. And it's also really inexpensive because you can imagine that you could create no matter how complicated or powerful a biological computer you wanted, 
you could like bootstrap that from like a small thing that builds itself out and modifies itself, which is another interesting property of biological computers is that they can evolve themselves, whereas physical computers, even despite the fact that they do have programmable logic, they can't modify their own hardware, whereas these could, if not by themselves, then definitely just by like, you know, downloading the uh, the newest patch pill for the computer and what so I think the interesting thing that's, about this it's is it's actually so cool. <laughs> yeah. Your MacBook Pro upgraded itself. Yeah. So the the really powerful thing about this is that now we can think about having computers in places that we never thought about them before. Like our entire body could be a computer. It could have a computer, a biological computer inside that would be self reliant and could be upgraded and patched and it could do all sorts of interesting things by hooking into this uh, protein signaling system like uh, intercepting. So all sorts of diseases are caused by breakdowns in these protein transport systems. So if you could build a computer that would like patch over these things, so like, you know what, instead of telling this soon-to-be cancer cell to just replicate out of control, we're going to detect that that's happening and just eat those proteins and don't worry about it sort of thing. And that, that plays generally into the uh, aging process because the reason we get old and our bodies eventually fail is because as time goes on, we can't replicate DNA as well. I have no idea, but that sounds reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I read it in a book somewhere. But, uh, but no, it's true that, that over time, the, the ability for our bodies to replicate cells slowly break down, and that's why they don't work as well over time. That's one of the problems with aging. So that plays right into that. Yeah, right. so I think there are a lot of interesting things we can talk about. Uh, one just being how could you, other, any other cool ways you guys think we could use this would be one thing. So, all right, well, I, I have a question first. Is it like, are we computers? Or, We're not or rather, because we don't have computers. a programmable system of logic inside of us. Okay. Because these transcriptors don't exist in nature. Everything else does. All right, all right. So, so we we're can... just accidents. Yeah, we're machines. We everything, Every oh. component of ours is, okay. is purpose-built to do a certain thing, and it doesn't do anything else, and you can't just, like, change your, like, your red blood cells, and it's like, you should do something else, unless I'm wrong. But... So what if, right, so we, we're, we're constantly taking input from the outside world, right? And, like, our, our oh, experience, yeah. like, like, our experience of the world shapes our output into the, into the world. Well, that's right? your brain, you and we have no idea how the fuck that works. <laughs> oh, which okay. Is, which is another interesting application of, of this, is maybe we could, like, reverse engineer how the brain works. Like, maybe these transcriptors do exist in nature, and they, so that somehow plays in I am not a neuroscientist. We should have had a neuroscientist on the show. Man, I, I know, know so many. I should have called one of them. <laughs> yeah, all our neuroscientist friends from Marist College. <laughs> make it. They were busy. <laughs> I mean, my... my I have a couple thoughts, none of them good, but a couple <laughs> thoughts on this. And someone has to play the downer here. Yeah, and that always seems to be you, Sean. I don't that's, know if you've noticed that. I'm just a bitter, bitter man. Uh, <laughs> one, so RoboCop, sad. I think, 
I haven't seen that movie, but other people have mentioned it in this context. And it's and it, no, it's just the idea of fusing man and machine. You know, your uh, cybernetics sort of idea. Oh, okay. But um, this isn't really cybernetics. But though. that's that's like, the point I'm trying to make is when people hear biocomputing, like I'm going to be able to shoot lasers out of my eyes is the first thing I think of, and that's clearly not the idea. Yeah, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, it's like nanotechnology, like we're hearing about injecting these tiny robots into your bloodstream, but it's not that at all. It's purely organic. And that's why I actually find, and I'll be a little more positive, I actually find this a little more interesting than some of the other, like you said, nanotechnologies and some of the other, because this is a lot more fundamental and a lot, I mean, obviously we're in the extremely early stages of this, and right now it's very basic, you know, uh, you know, wire end type things, but um, I just think that there's a lot of potential. The problem I have is, you know, we're already freaking out over genetically modified fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot imagine technologies like this, uh, especially at such a deep, deep, deep cellular level. You know, nanotechnology is one thing, but I mean, we're talking. DNA. I mean, we're really and messing with it and really changing it. Well, it's not necessarily... You could, but the uh, the point of the DNA is that you could store tons. You could create new DNA and use that to store things. You wouldn't necessarily have to modify the person's DNA. And that's and that's I, I would like to see. See what I like would like to see come from this is. Instead of having silicon running on your processor and your computer, you have cells running it. That's well, cool. I think that's cool. That's so. The reason that's slow is it takes a much longer for the protein to fling across like cytoplasm than it does for light to travel. Is that? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, light to travel along a wire. Isn't and so electricity. Oh, like, yeah, electricity. That yeah, it takes. <laughs> it's like light, you know. It is. It's, it's energy <laughs> in a different form. Yeah, whatever. We're you know we're all so, physicists here. So if I have this right, and I want to make sure I do. Okay. This will not turn you into RoboCop. No. This will not power your iPhone. No. This will help against genetic diseases. Maybe. I, I wouldn't say gen. I don't know. I don't know the words. I would, it was, I would say it would help against diseases because you could, much like, like an antivirus system on your computer, you could have these heuristic things in this computer. Like if you see a, you know, a cell that has never received a signal to create more, to replicate, start replicating, like, I don't know, signal something, destroy it, you could you could re you could do proactive healthcare that way. <laughs> imagine imagine I'm I'm just picturing infomercials, but like like instead of my clean PC, it's like my clean DNA. Get your injections today. Seems legit. Hilarious. We have found three hundred viruses. Pay us thirty dollars and we'll remove them. <laughs> <laughs> Seems legit. Yeah. That's that's that that cool. is the uh, that is one of the downsides though is opening opening our bodies up like we have our computers open, uh, you know. <laughs> the, the consequences seem. Yeah, we're not very good at 
at using computers yet, so I have no confidence that we could do this well. Uh, <laughs> and I think the, the nature of scientists and PhD students and researchers and hackers is that it will... Uh, like, they, they did not patent the transcriptor. They put it under Creative Commons, for instance. So it will... Yes, but you could see what Colby's describing where someone is just selling this cure-all thing that you inject into your bloodstream and it does things to your body. It intercepts messages. Like, we're that's so, pretty terrifying. We're so far from that. Like the, and, and I just I have to point out to the person watching that <laughs> we are... That joke will never get old. Nine episodes, we're still doing it. Uh, that it will be. We are so far away from the things we're talking about that I I don't. I just think just a simple idea of you know and or in DNA I think is cool. I, you know the to to say that you know one day we'll have a thing that we can just inject. You know I mean we're we're kind of projecting a little far out. So, so I, I, think, I don't think, I think it's reason to panic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, so one thing that I could see being cool is it, like, if you, if we could, like, find a way to, like, produce and read DNA in even a mildly, like, efficient manner, right, then, like, you could conceivably store things, like, incredible amounts of data in, in small spaces and, I don't know, maybe for a, a long time, right? I don't, I don't entirely right. know. I I'm mean, sure it, it degrades, but I feel like that might be more preservable than like a CD-ROM. Well, there are humans who have been alive much longer than computers have existed. But on the flip side, uh, there are data storage formats which have been around much less time that have proven to be not time-proof. And yeah, Sean probably knows. Something about this archival storage of digital information. Yes, th th thank <laughs> you, Dan. Uh, yes, no, I do know a lot about that, and uh, certainly nothing is. Um, I actually just this is kind of a non sequitur, but I'll bring it up anyway. Uh, I read an article today that in England they take preserving history very seriously, obviously because they have a lot more of it than we do here in America. So they built a history. freaking enormous warehouse to store old newspapers in. They have so many, it's like a gazillion square feet, but there are no humans in it. In the entire warehouse, the entire thing is a low oxygen, low temperature environment, and they just put in, say, we want this newspaper, and a robot goes up to the shelf, pulls it out, and it goes through an airlock. I'm totally true that they totally build this. And then that's how you get the newspapers out. So... They, you have to be so careful with things like that, um, and take it so seriously. Uh, but you know, believe it or not, you know we uh, we're finding out things today are damaging DNA that we didn't know were doing it before. Um, even microchemicals and and things that we microchemicals. That's I don't know. I might have just made that up. But um, no, there's a name. No, I swear there's a name for these things, and it just totally escapes my mind. But yeah. Uh, it's these things, and it turns out that we don't realize it because it's happening at such a, a micro scale and at such a long period of time. But 
that DNA can be damaged. Um, yeah. And we don't know the full extent of it. That's what you get when you come into such a new forefront in, in you know, biology. Right, right. Well, yeah, I guess I had, like, my point was not that it, like, can't be damaged, but more that, like, under ideal, like, normal conditions, right, it, it could, it might be more durable than what we have now, in addition to being, like, more, to having more, more capacity. And it won't get stuck in the disk drive. You won't have to put the paper clip in, you know? You remember doing that? Exactly. You put the paper clip in and you have to, yeah. like, jam it out. Mm-hmm. Not, DNA won't make you do that. I, mm-hmm. I, I, the other day I had an urge to burn a CD. And that dream came crashing down when I realized that all, all around me are MacBook Airs and iPads. Yep. <laughs> and I have no way... Welcome to, to the CDify something. <laughs> Damn you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> I had someone ask me that the other day, too. They said, Sean, can I back up my stuff? And I said, yeah, I can help you with that. And they go, do I have to get blank DVDs? <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you're going to back up your stuff on DVDs? Who does that? <laughs> so, circling back real quick, and after this we can probably move on, uh, another... I guess there are two more interesting things. One interesting question is, like, can you... I can only imagine... I think this is going to happen, because I think the potential uh, healthcare benefits are just too awesome. Or at least I hope it happens. Like, we all we hear all this stuff about preventative healthcare, and, oh, you should, like... You shouldn't just take drugs. You should, like, change your lifestyle to avoid this happening, and you should be cognizant of all of these things, which is, like, part of where we had the wearable computing episode also plays into this, but... And this feels like cheating, but if you could have something that just automatically reacts to these things, even... And I don't... I'm not... I can't really imagine how this would happen, but I'm sure it would. Even if it, like... Well... And then when you get to the point where you're networking your bodies to the internet and sending, phoning home to the hospital, like, you know, you know, uh-oh, this cell's replicating faster than it should. Like, the graph <laughs> is spiking. Like, that's scary, but it's also awesome when you get to the point where your doctor calls you, like, hey, Dan, we noticed something suspicious on the graphs last night. Can you come in this afternoon? Like, that's true. That's pretty awesome. Then the NSA can track how high your cholesterol is and right. correlate and then, that with and I'm sure I'm sure they'll use that to <laughs> to correlate the passage of certain bills with the general populace happiness. Like I'm sure that's what they'll do. I am definitely making a don't panic drinking game. Every time I joke about our one viewer, every time we mention the NSA, I'm just write these down, people, because we're gonna do like a bingo board or something. Because. <laughs> I like it. Every time. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and the other question, the other interesting aspect is back to the brain. Uh, the brain is the most powerful computer we know, and the brain isn't digital. So how does that work? And if this does lead to that, uh, imagine how rich that person will be from the finance industry. Because if you could figure out how to do that, you could just 
you could just you could just grow brains infinitely like you know you could have these biological computers construct brains and network them together and just keep going and going and going and going and it would be crazy. It would be crazy. Yeah. It'd be weird, man. When did you? It turn would. Into and a... you know what? And then at that point, is it human? <laughs> I don't know. Dan, you're I a supervillain. I know. I am. Where's Batman? Like it's he is. He's, he's a supervillain, but like that bad thing hasn't happened to him yet. That turns him. <laughs> That's right. He's the scientist. You know, like, like something. I don't know. Like. His his puppy has to get run over in the street or something, and then he'll turn into it. He'll turn in, <laughs> into a supervillain. His fiance has to have a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> and then there you I go. A, a farm of grown, <laughs> auto-expanding human brains that slowly take over the world. We'll call him Brainio or something like that. That'll be his villain name. <laughs> We've thought this one through. Oh, yeah. And with that, I think if no one has anything else... Uh, well, we can go around the horn and do last thoughts okay, uh, okay. in case anyone... Colby, why don't you uh, go ahead and... Uh, any, any, what, what do you think of uh, biocomputing? Final um, thoughts. Or if you want to take a minute and think, I can go. It seems cool and weird. I'm excited to have like a, fa- a flash drive filled with like goo that can hold... like. <laughs> exabytes of data. That's that's the dream, right? <laughs> that's all we can hope for. Yeah. Alright, that, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Alright, Dan? Uh, I, I already said, I think I I, uh, I think preventative healthcare applications are pretty powerful. Full disclosure, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> uh, you just play one on what? the internet? I'm pretty <laughs> terrible at biology in general. Just ask my biology professor. Uh, so I might have no idea what I'm talking about, which is the theme of the show. Nice. Fair enough. Don't panic. We're clueless. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want to say I think this is a super interesting topic, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. And, uh, you know, obviously it's going to take a while for these things to develop, but at least every time a little bit of news comes out, it reminds me of two things. One, there are still cool things to discover, and two, there are still smart people out there who are trying to discover them. And you know what? To me, those mean a lot. You know, what does this specific discovery mean? I don't know. I'm I'm just a guy. I don't know. But at least (laughs) I know that there are smart, capable people who are working on it and trying to solve our problems, and uh, it makes me a little more optimistic that we'll get there. And, uh... Human discovery, we uh, almost never, we try to do things, so like, that was kind of what I was trying to say. We like, we think, oh, this biocomputing thing is going to be great, but it might not be that at all that comes out of this that's interesting. Like, you know, it could be like we discover how the brain works, and it's like, oh, holy crap, you know? Or, or we, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Discovery is awesome. Yay, science. Yay, science. And on that note, uh, we're going to move on to another story. Um, You know, that was a little technical. I'm not going to lie. That was a little heavy. So we're going to move on to something a little more consumer-focused. Rumors about the next iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Everyone's favorite tech story. That's right. As we get to this time of year, 
It is, uh, as we approach the fall, it's tradition. Uh, everyone's favorite tradition before Black Friday, but after the 4th of July, that Apple has uh, their one slash two, depending on the year, fall events. Um, and this year, the big, the big note is uh, the next iPhone, question mark. Uh, what is it, and what will it be? Right now, I'm looking at a story on the verge with sort of a rumor wrap-up. Um, so I'm going to go down and talk about a few things that we might see. So the general consensus is we're going to see a 5S. It's going to look very similar, same display, nearly the same body, with a lot of internal improvements, which is what we saw in the 4S uh, and the 3GS. So I don't think there's a ton of surprise there. Um, but what I think is interesting is the big, the big rumor is that the next iPhone is going to have a fingerprint scanner built into the home button. Now, there have been fingerprint scanners on cell phones before, not a lot, but a few. But Apple did purchase Authentech, which was a leading bio te- uh, biometric firm. And this rumor's been kicking when around. When was that? When did they purchase them? Um, well, I'm happy to tell you they purchased them back in July of 2012, so about a year ago. I don't think that's enough time. Um, I hope, I kind of think that's a bad idea. Putting a putting it into the uh, the phone. Yeah. Why? So like, don't they have all those problems with the like Lenovo laptops that have their fingerprint scanners, and it's just like a huge security hole? Or is Why? that something to do with the software? Why is it a security hole? Yeah, it might be the software that just like ruins your computer, and you can just like log it. I don't know. I don't. But, yeah, no, I don't know. Well, and I don't, you know, obviously, you know, corporate communications probably won't use this feature. Um, it's I don't want to say novelty, because I don't think that's fair to the technology, but, you know, this is for the person who doesn't want to type in a four-digit passcode to unlock their phone. That's true. You know, maybe unlock it to make iTunes purchases, but outside of that, you know, anyone who's super security conscious knows that, this may not be the best technology. I'm more interested, not in the software use side, but actually in the hardware and the fact that they say they're going to put it in the home button. Um, and the rumor is that they're going to use a uh, sapphire crystal curved uh, convex. So instead of curving in like it does now, it'll curve out. Um, and you'll be able just to put your finger on it, uh, and it would be able to read your uh, your fingerprint. Why do we think this is a... a- a, a bad idea for security. I, I don't. I don't. I. I don't actually. I. I didn't. That wasn't based on anything. I just like remember that being a thing. But the more I think about it, the more I think it was just like a like crappily implemented thing that. Yeah, I mean, to be from what I know and what I've been told, and what I've read and data I've accumulated in my brain over the years. The problem with fingerprint scanners is, A, they have to be of relatively high quality not to fool. There are some fingerprint scanners. I can print out on an inkjet printer a copy of your fingerprint and fool it. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. How do these things work, then? Well, it depends on how much on how much technology is. I mean, there are some that'll, that will, when they scan your fingerprint, will check for uh, skin moisture and temperature. Uh, cheaper ones don't. They just look for a pattern. So the ones that just, it's sort of like... Um, the problem with facial recognition is sometimes I can just hold up a photo of you and it'll recognize it. It's that same concept. So they'd have to use a high enough quality. And then the other half of that problem is uh, software. 
I, I that, thought I would have thought that like it takes advantage of like how your skin works. Like it's squishy and it has bumps. So more but expensive maybe that was ones naive. do. Oh, okay. No, more expensive ones do. The higher end you go, the more security has built in. But like the cheap ones you find, just you know, as kind of a gimmick, as kind of you know, whatever. Those just look for a pattern. That's it. And the technology is getting better. I don't know if, how much of this they can build into a phone. That's that's what is concerning to me. I think fingerprint scanners can be incredibly useful, and a lot of high security places use them. I just don't know how much of this they can fit into, you know, a, a cell phone. Another interesting uh, hospital-related story. I didn't actually read the story, but didn't didn't like Apple meet with like city officials from. New York and San Francisco about, like, stolen iPhones and how to make it better a few months ago also. Like, wasn't that a, a, a whole big thing? Or maybe it was a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, no, they made a big push a little while back. I know what story you're talking about because so, uh, iDevice theft is uh, a major problem and a huge chunk yeah. of theft. It's something hmm. ridiculous, like like some large percentage of crime. Because they're because they're easy to steal and easy to sell. Yeah, uh, but if if these things are halfway decent, that would be pretty awesome. Because I can imagine it would be like, well, going on. Well, it wouldn't prevent the theft, but it would prevent the information loss. Because it could be like, well, if you don't have the thumb, then you, you can wipe the device and then you can use it, sort of thing. That would be that would be great. I think I don't. No. But also, Sean, you mentioned that you didn't think it was a good security measure, but no security measure is good. They right. just layer on each other and make it more and more difficult. And like I said, I have a lot of family members who work at a government contractor, and they just started letting in phones with cameras because they couldn't buy phones without cameras. But, I mean, they, <laughs> they take security yeah. so crazy seriously because um, they're building submarines and what have you. But... Um, no, so I no, I don't think this is going to be something super corporate, you know, NSA is going to use. Um, but I think, and Apple probably sees it this way that it's a, just it's a convenience, it's easy, and yeah. it's just something that's very natural to people, provided it works. True. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're if you're like, if it works and like you are providing this, at least conceivably really easy and low barrier to entry security, whereas, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's a thing that most people don't have a, lo a passcode lock on their phone. So, I mean, if you if you put this there for everyone, um, that's, that's, I guess, good, right? Yeah, easy security is great. Better yeah. than none. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and that would be really interesting if they did it by default. Mm. That that would be that would be fascinating. I don't have a, a passcode on my phone. You know, for a long time I didn't, and the only reason I did was because, um, because I don't have anything on there that I really care all that much. But then I realized if I was ever pulled over by the police, they can just oh, yeah. take and look in my phone with almost no oversight or. But you're okay with the NSA. Jeez. But the, honestly, I worry more about local cops than I do about the NSA. 
I'm not committing, you know, terrorism. I'm speeding down a highway. <laughs> what does it matter um, if they look at your phone then? But it's the principle of the matter. Ah, um, okay. I, I think they. I think the the idea is that they could suggest you were test texting and then. And it's not even that, but it's just, I don't know. I want to make that local cop, who's probably going to be a douchebag because they always are, go through the extra effort of getting a real warrant and getting someone to unlock the phone who's not me. So. No offense to any local police watching the show right now. I know a lot of local policemen. They're not all are douches, but many. Are. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I'm just going to piss off as many people as I can. Uh, <laughs> other things that have been rumored to be included on the new iPhone, a dual LED flash uh, using two different color LEDs. What that does is it achieves a better white balance um, because it flashes them in different colors, so that's interesting. Uh, and also a bump in the megapixels, closer to something 12 or 13 over the current 8. Um, a million megapixels. Yeah, not going to match the crazy 41 megapixels on the Lumia 1020, but... You know, the, the iPhone sensor is already really, really good. So uh, 12 or 13, I think, is going to just look great. What no one realizes, and I always cringe when they, when they bump this up, is that that means you can take fewer pictures per, like, megabyte of space. Megapixels is not everything. No, they just, it makes it bigger. Mm -hmm. the, the size of the picture is bigger. The size it takes on your phone, you can store less photos on your phone now. I, agree. I, think, I think it could use to get a little bit bigger than it is now. I'm okay with it. But I, not yeah. like 41 megapixels bigger. Yeah, than that's, now, that's really like, what I was rappelling about. Is anyone yeah. thinks that a good, that's a good idea? doesn't have a 16 gigabyte phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, other things, uh, a slight processor bump, a uh, slight battery bump. The other big rumor is... Um, possibly a new model of iPhone, the so-called color slash cheap uh, iPhone 5C question mark. Uh, there have been some leaks. This is a, an image right here that may or may not be real. Uh, supposedly the iPhone 5C, it's going to be a low-cost iPhone, sort of like the iPod Touch with many funky colors as they occasionally do, and it's going to be made out of plastic rather than aluminum. Uh, it's going to be very similar to the current phone, uh, well, the phones aren't made out of aluminum; they're of made out of glass. Uh, no, the isn't the iPhone five. The, the five. Oh, the back. that's right. Um, yeah, and so, and then the rumored date right now is September tenth. So set your live blogs. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else on the new iPhone before no. we move into a real story? Oh. I, I have a thing to say. One thing I noticed using the Galaxy 4S or S4. <laughs> Colin, why are you even on this show? <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, our, that's also part of our drinking game. Colby, Colby mentions technology wall. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, in any case. Like, you know how there's all people talk about how, like, the bigger screen is harder to use because your thumb can't reach across? It's actually true. I, I, like, today I was walking and I had something in one hand and I was trying to text and I, like, dropped the phone because I was trying to, like, reach my thumb across to, like, type letters on the other side of the keyboard and I dropped it. <laughs> it was bad. So big sc wide screens, they're dangerous. Yeah, I I am no. not a fan. 
perhaps the solution to that is simply detect which which hand you're holding the phone with <laughs> and squish the keyboard down to that that half of the screen. But actually, that's a really cool idea. Fuck. I just said that on the air. Man. We'll edit it out. If you can use the accelerometer, right? You can use the accelerometer and, like, tilt the keyboard towards your hand. Or you could even just make a contract and say that you're only going to use your phone in your dominant hand, which is probably true most of the time anyways. That's true. Quit giving away (laughs) ideas. (laughs) Uh, on that note, we'll move on. Uh, what do you guys want to do next? You want to do uh, Hyperloop or wireless charging? I mean, wireless charging is the dream. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll Dan, get technical on us once again. All right. Yeah, another academic paper out of uh, what is the University of Washington. So picture yourself sitting down, much as I am now. We've got a laptop over here, a phone and an iPad over there, a router, a bunch of other stuff connected, uh, a TV, a microwave. All these things are giving off radio signals that are just bouncing around my apartment. So what if you could use these signals? Uh, I, I don't entirely, again... I am not an electrical engineer. I did really bad in the closest class I ever got to that. Uh, But what if you could, instead of actively using power to transmit things, what if you could just, like, block things from transmitting and, like, take this ambient noise and transmit data by, like, interrupting it every so often? And that's basically, I think what is happening here. So you can have, like, a physical thing that uses, I think it picks up energy from that and use, and is basically a net zero thing and can use the ambient radio signals in your house to transmit information to things that are nearby. So that's what this is. It's not really wireless power, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I just cheated and read the headline poorly. Sure. So Using I have a question. Electronic on, on, things without power. On that note, how does like you know the, the have you seen that the tile thing like the things you stick on stuff and like you can find it with your phone like those? Oh yeah. You're not supposed to have to charge those. Like, they just work. I don't know. At least I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'm going to find out now. No batteries. No batteries. Nope, you never need to replace the batteries or charge your Oh, it's probably RFID. But, like, how does that... So, here, I think how that works is you have a thing that actively transmits, Mm. and then these things receive that and reflect it back. Passively, so like there's energy in the radio waves, and it oh. uses that as power, sort of thing. Oh, so, I guess that makes sense. And then it like it can tell how close you are, but based on how much. Like like sonar, back. maybe. Yeah. All right, all right, I'll buy that. So, Thanks. but this works kind of the same way. That's a good thing to bring up, in, except that it's using 
like the ambient noise energy in your house to power itself. Not yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, power itself. Okay. So they give an example here of where they they have two things that have absolutely no power source, and they can like they like bring them close together, and they do like a uh, a payment transfer sort of thing, like they exchange information basically. But in in all existing technology, like I have this uh, mobile speed pass for the gas station, and I hold it up to the gas the whatever you call it the pump been in New York too long, and it, like, says, oh, okay, start pumping, and we'll charge your card. But the gas pump has power, so it's actively seeking these things out. In this scenario, neither of the two parties have to have power, and it just works. Hmm. Pretty cool. Wow. That is cool. I also, uh, real quick, I, this has actually been going on for some time, and there was a uh, Soviet Union bugged an American embassy by having children gift a carved seal, like United States seal, like the circular thing, not like a clapping on the rock thing, Yeah. to an ambassador that had a listening device embedded in it, but didn't draw any power unless it was projected onto with wireless power, sort of, the same sort of idea, and that's how they could transmit back information with no power source. Interesting. Yeah. So this is not a new idea. But again, but and even in that case though, you had something with more power shooting stuff at it. So this is this is new. This is cool. Yeah. Hyperloop. Um, yes. Let's talk about the future. Probably the Yeah. Because this is your pick this week, Colby, right? Well, I meant to. I didn't. I put it in the wrong thing, but it's. I mean, it's my story. But I don't actually have a pick. So it's doing double duty. Yeah, yeah. And this is probably the biggest actually, pick we've ever had. It's a large pick. In fact, it's so big it doesn't even exist yet. That's right. <laughs> so, Colby, tell us about this wonderful magic idea from the mind of Elon Musk. Yeah, so basically Elon Musk, the guy, the Tesla guy, and the PayPal he has another guy. thing, right? PayPal? PayPal? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was his thing. Yep. I don't know anything. <laughs> Doesn't he has? Oh, Tesla and SpaceX. That's what. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Of. Um, he has come up with this this proposal for a super fast mode of transportation. Um, as an alternative to, say, supersonic air travel or high-speed rail systems, um, which are impractical, he suggests. So I read it. I read his whole paper today on the bus, um, and he suggests that it's it's more pra- it's more practical it, and cheaper than a high-speed rail, um, and it is probably cheaper and more more effective than supersonic air travel for distances of under under 600 miles because with with air travel like you spend a lot of time like getting up to your cruising altitude which for supersonic planes has to be very high cuz the air is isn't as dense the higher you go so they can go faster um so he's suggesting that his method is 
or a good idea. And basically what it is is there's like a low low air pressure tube that runs would run between in in for for argument's sake it would run between LA and San Francisco um and you would you would ride in this pod which which is like it's it's like it kind of has like a cabin thing if you look at at the the mocks on the website and it kind of has like this fan in the front that that sucks the air in front of it like so it it reduces the the friction by like taking the air that's in front of it that it would normally be pushing on when it's approaching like subsonic speeds and like squirting it through behind it <laughs> that was a weird word. <laughs> it's a computer science word. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't think that makes it okay. <laughs> Just makes it a thing. Um, but basically, like, theoretically, he's suggesting that, that you would be able to make it from L.A. to San Francisco in, like, a half an hour, which is kind of cool. Um, and he also, like... I guess he, he mentioned in the paper that, that California just, like, approved spending gajillions of dollars. And by gajillions, I mean, like, billions of dollars on a high-speed rail. And he's like, it's not even the fastest or the cheapest rail in the world, and they're still spending billions of dollars. And this would conceivably cost less. And it would just be it would be a tube that's, um, like, on pylons above the ground. Um, so it's also its environmental impact would be minimal because it's on pylons. So whereas whereas a railroad would need, um, you know, like a hundred foot swath of land going for miles and miles, the the tube would not. So it would be more more like a telephone pole almost. So interesting, interesting idea. So maybe so, that's the another cool thing I read is that the uh, the number one cost of it is concrete. Yes, yeah, because that's that's the like, it's like he goes into like some detail about how how it would run and basically it it like powers itself through solar power and does you know yeah. crazy stuff. But and that's relatively inexpensive in compared to just building the tube. Like that's it would cost billions of dollars to build the tube, but fewer billions than the high-speed rail they're suggesting. Um, so I just want to say two things quick. Um, one, and please no one complain to me, because I realize technologically it's not the same, but in theory, in layman's terms, it's very similar to a pneumatic tube system like you see at the bank. Yeah, yeah. Where you he actually talks about that in the paper. Yeah, I mean, it's not a com direct comparison because it is different. But... Yeah, it's a, it's a little more complicated because, like, so doing it that way, like, exactly like that is, is pretty much impossible because you would need a completely airtight tube and, like, the, the pushing that much air, like, for that many miles would just be impossible. Right. Right. The other thing I wanted to say is that The Onion had a fantastic <laughs> article in response to this. Su new super-fast transport system powered by passengers' screams. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, and I'll just read you a quote, supposedly quoting Elon Musk. It says, with zero negative effects on the environment, the Hyperloop could cut travel times in half, or even by two-thirds, 
depending on how loud passengers' shrieks and pleas for help are. Adding that special turbines will convert the horrified screams of its riders into kinetic energy. I like it. Uh, if passengers are terrified enough to scream in abject horror the entire duration of the ride, and they probably will, knowing that even the slightest malfunction will cause their flesh to peel off their bodies, <laughs> an hour and a half trip from New York to San Francisco could be a reality. <laughs> and I thought, that, as ridiculous as it is, I thought it was really hilarious. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. Let's, let's hope that it goes from more than just an idea to something real. Yeah. He does. He does seem to have a pretty decent track record. I just love the fact that he's too. Two, I... He's too busy building electric sports cars and going to space to have time to build this. There are so many Teslas out here. He's Tony Stark. Think Someone about said it. that the other day on on Facebook or something. I saw. Um. That. Well, that's a uh, that's an awesome idea. Uh. So props to Hyperloop. We'll keep an eye on that. Um. The future. We'll see. Uh, but now we'll move on to our other picks. Dan, uh, I am jealous of your pick because this is so cool, uh, but a little, uh, I think a little, uh, a little scary. But you, you, uh, you tell me about this 23andMe.com. All right, so germane to the conversation we had earlier about biocomputers, there's this website called 23andMe.com, which uh, basically they give you a little tube. I'm going to try to share my screen again give you a little tube in the mail and you spit in it and you send it back and they give you they basically sequence your DNA and tell you what diseases you're likely to carry and health risks and other things that might be useful and stupid things like uh, do you like what is it what is that thing that is genetic that people either like the taste of or don't uh, some spice anyways Silly things like that that are just kind of cool to know, but also really serious things. It's a hundred dollars. Oh, there's there's ancestry things too, which is pretty cool. I haven't done it yet. I want to. I will. Uh, you can use it to build your family tree and find out where you're from. And could, uh, could you do that and then uh, then tell me how it is? Cause like I want to do it too, but I don't really want to be the first one I know to do it. <laughs> For you, Colby, anything. Thanks, bro. <laughs> so, all right. That's my pick, 23andMe.com. I really dig cool. it. And I will say that uh, keep eyes peeled because I know um, a lot of times they do uh, coupon deals oh. where you'll get 20, 30, up to 50% off. Um, I, I know at least they used to. I don't know if they do anymore, but, uh, you know, half off you can't complain. But I think it's really cool. I'd love to do it too. Um, if I had a real job, uh, <laughs> like everyone else. Curse so, it. Curse. Now, I'll just get genetic diseases, whatever, no biggie. <laughs> uh, I'm not having kids anytime soon anyway, so uh, my genetics stay with me. Uh, but with that great pick, Dan, uh, I'm going to try to live up to both your picks with something that's not nearly as good, but it's something I like. And as I say, my picks every week, I try and solve a problem. So how many times has this happened to you? You click on your Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast, whatever you have. You turn on Netflix, because that Lord knows that's on every device on Earth. And you just kind of stare at it. You ever do this? You just stare at it. And your queue's got like a hundred things in it. And there's all kinds of categories. But you just stare at it, and you're like, 
I've seen this all, and I don't... I'm not interested. I, uh, I'm terrible at making decisions. Do I have the solution for you? Um, it's not very good looking, but it is very effective. It's instantwatcher.com. Um, again, not the most beautiful website, but it is very effective, and they utilize the Netflix API uh, to organize uh, Netflix's movies in different ways. Um, I use it most because they have a category called new. Uh, there used to be actually an RSS feed published by Netflix, and they took that down. I use that, but right now, whenever something new is added to Netflix, it shows up here on the list, um, and you can just, it's one click to read more about it, go to the IMDB page, or add it to your queue. You can also sort by genre. You can also sort by what's popular on the website. So right here, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mission Impossible, The Avengers. Hmm. Uh, it'll sort by what's popular. It also does groups, things like, uh, Movies that are Rotten Tomatoes rated fresh, which I know a lot of people uh, use, or New York Times critics pick. Um, and they just go through and they rank them in a hundred different ways. Uh, you can rank by HD, non-HD, movies versus TV. You can put in a specific year. You can, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. Um, and I find it a lot easier to use search-wise than Netflix's own website. Um Especially, I actually have it bookmarked, and every morning I, when I go through all my usual websites, I check to see what's new on Netflix. Um, and that's how, I make, that's how I make sure I don't miss anything, because that's happened to me a ton of time, where something, it, oh, how long has that been on Netflix? It's been there for months, you haven't seen it? Because they don't make it easy to find stuff. So uh, make your life a little bit better. Uh, instantwatcher.com. Um, I highly recommend it. Maybe my conception of... Uh, a fresh Rotten Tomatoes rating is incorrect, but here's a movie that has a fresh rating, but a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, entitled Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, yeah, I, you I know, must watch. <laughs> I think I think you should. <laughs> Who knows? You might find some. I find new stuff on here all the time, um, and a lot of fun stuff. So, cool. That's my pick. And with that, we uh, we come to the end of our show. I forgot I was still sharing my screen. Uh, <laughs> we get to the end of the show. Uh, do either of you guys have anything you want to jump in with or plug while we're here? Mm, no. Just no. just come watch us next week. Yeah. <laughs> Please come back. Come back. Return. And I, I, Tell I your friends. I will be nice, and I will say these two gentlemen work at fine American corporations. You probably have never heard of them. One of them is Etsy.com, uh, where you find fine handcrafted goods. And the other is the Facebook, uh, which you can find at uh, Facebook.com. Uh, tell your friends. I doubt they've heard of it. Um, so we'll get sneak a little plug in there. Uh, Facebook.com slash Marist Archives. And with that, uh, I want to remind, again, as we said at the top of the show, we'll do it again at the end of the show, I want to remind all of our listeners and viewers that you can always check out shows after the fact at our website, fantastically built by these two gentlemen and in no way by me, at don'tpanic.io, and you can watch live. We do this every Tuesday at roughly 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at don'tpanic.io slash live.html. Um, and with that, I want to thank Colby, Dan, uh, and myself for having a uh, another Maybe successful John. episode. And just to remind you all, we'll be back next week. So relax, don't panic, because we'll see you then. Good night.